welcome. I hope you're here with me today. <clears throat> Tag in and let me know you're here. I'm actually coming to you from Amarillo. I'm visiting my daughter this week and um, hopefully everything will go smooth and everything's connected right. I'm actually in one of the grandkids' bedrooms, so I've tried to remove all of the uh, Little Mermaid paraphernalia and all those things from from around behind me. And hopefully no kids or dogs will come running in. I think they've all gone for a walk for an hour. So we'll just got, we've got some time here. Hope everybody's doing great there back in DFW and all, wherever you're coming from today. Well, uh, let's see, uh, Hadass and Elizabeth, hello. Glad someone joined me today. Um, yay. We are, believe it or not, just days away from completing a very big mitzvah, uh, finishing the counting of the Omer, and then we'll be at Shavuot. So as our final attribute that we're going to study during our 49 days of, of, of refining our soul, we're going to study today the attribute of Malkut. Malchut is sovereignty, or we might look at it as leadership. This one is a little bit different from the last six because it's more a state of being rather than an active uh, thing that we do. It's more a state of who we are. Uh, true leadership is the art of selflessness, and it's really only a reflection of Hashem's higher will. We remember even Yeshua saying, I, I don't do anything on my own, but I do the Father's will. Uh, true uh, malchut or leadership manifests character and majesty of the human spirit. Healthy sovereignty or leadership is always kind and loving as well as warm and considerate. When you are in a position of leadership, think about yourself. Do you express authority in a caring manner or do you just go roughshod imposing your authority on others? The next thing we have to think about as we're thinking about leadership and sovereignty and Malkut is uh, it needs to be balanced. Of course, we know everything in Musar has to be balanced. It has to be balanced with discipline. And a part of that is recognizing jurisdiction. If you go before a judge, the first thing he or she's going to determine is, does he, does he have jurisdiction over this case? Uh, you may be the leader at home, but not at work. You may, uh, you know, be the leader at work, but not at the shul. So your jurisdiction may change depending on what role you're in. Uh, do you sometimes feel like that you're attempting to exercise your authority in areas where you really don't have jurisdiction? Um, maybe you're trying to, you don't really have the role of leadership, uh, but yet you're trying to tell others what to do. So we really have to be able to respect the authority and leadership of those that are in that rightful place and be able to submit to those in leadership. Compassion is another component of good leadership. Uh, in examining this part of leadership, you might ask yourself some questions. In your, you know, are you a compassionate leader? Are you organized? Do you, are you able to give clear instructions to those that are, are following you? 
does your work group, are you able to lead your work group in working as a team together? Another thing to think about, uh, certainly if you're in a leadership role, is the aspect of endurance. And a leader's role is always going to be tested somewhat by their endurance. An effective leader will be determined to reach the goals and to lead others in reaching those goals, as well as having a strong conviction to fight for the right cause. And it does require a certain level of confidence. On the other hand, it also requires a certain amount of humility. It's a very important aspect of malchut or leadership. Waverland, hey, an effective leader will avoid arrogance and lead with humility. Finally, healthy leadership does not become an obstacle to bonding with others. We don't isolate ourselves because we're the leader, but self-confidence allows you to respect and trust others' sovereignty and bond with each other. And that bond will even strengthen your sovereignty and leadership. Very, very soon, in just a matter of days, we will be finally counting up to and the 50th day. That was our goal all along, was to reach 50. And the 50th day is called Matan Torah, or the giving of the Torah. These 49 days, we have done all that we can do on our own to improve our character, to improve our soul traits. But now we have to kind of turn it over to Hashem and receive from Him the gifts which will help us to continue and perfect our souls. He will finish the work that we started. And um, on Shavuot, we kind of hand over the baton to him and let and say we've done all that we can do for these last 49 days and now Hashem please finish that work that you started I hope that you have this later this week an amazing Shavuot on the mountain up on the mountain I hope these 49 days as you have ascended a little bit higher every day have brought you and will continue over the next few days to bring you closer and closer to Hashem Okay, so it's time to turn in our text. And today we're going to start on page 174 in our book. We have been looking at the last couple of weeks the kinds of things that should inspire us to do Teshuvah. What, what makes us even want to do Teshuvah in the first place? One of the very first ones we learned, we looked at was hardships. When hardships come our way, do we say, oh, woe is me, or why has this come upon me? Or does it inspire us to look inside and say, what do I need to correct? What do I need to change? Another thing that we looked at was old uh, was old age. As we get older, it's in our days ahead or less than our days behind. It's a time that should inspire us to do teshuva. Last week, we looked at uh, some more. We looked at hearing reproof from our Torah teachers. And we're, when we hear reproof, are we offended? Do we run away? Or do we take the message to heart and see what we need to do differently? 
We also learned that when we study the Torah and we find something in there that uh, uh, makes our conscience hurt or something we're not doing correctly, then it should inspire us again to do Teshuva. And the last way that we looked at last week was certainly a very important one is that's during the 10 days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur should certainly be a time to, that we should be really inspired to do Teshuva. So today he finishes this second gate with a sixth way that we should be inspired to come to Teshuva. And that is may not be a popular topic, but as we think about and contemplating our own death, this is certainly a time that uh, we should, or it's a topic that should certainly inspire us to uh, do Teshuva. And since we never, we never know when that day will come, we should be prepared every day. I have spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of years talking to people at Sar Shalom about preparing for their death in a practical way, making final arrangements, talking to your families, making sure they know what you want. Uh, we have a form. Some of you have gotten the form. And thank you. Um, uh, uh, my mind just went blank. Uh, for putting the form on a PDF format so that we could share it. And... Um, I encourage people to fill that form out, give a form to your family, give one to Keturah, uh, so that people know what your final wishes are. But even as we do these practical things, it should really inspire us to make preparation for our soul for our day of death. Rabbi Yonah says, we should arouse our conscience and firmly establish ourselves with righteousness so that we can return our soul to Hashem in a state of purity. We know that when we pray from our prayer books, it says, the soul you have given me is pure. And we should want and be inspired to return that soul to Him in its, in its purity. So in order to do that, we need to search our ways every day for anything that needs to be corrected. Anything that we find sinful, we should correct quickly and do Teshuvah immediately. To reinforce this whole idea, Rabbi Yona gives us a teaching from the sages from Shabbos 153a. And in this teaching from the Mishnah, it teaches uh, in uh, Pirkei Avot 210, Rabbi Eliezer tells his students, repent one day before you die. But of course, his students ask him, how can we do that if we don't know when we're going to die? Of course, Rabbi Eliezer answers, to the contrary, this makes my advice all the more relevant. Since a person does not know the time of his death, he should repent today because he might die tomorrow. And then he goes on and repent tomorrow because you might die the day after tomorrow, and so on and so on, which basically means every day we are to repent. He gives a scripture, Rabbi Yonah, from Ecclesiastes 9.8 that says, Let your garments always be white and let your head never lack oil. The whiteness of the clothing is a metaphor for our for the, our soul being cleansed of sin through teshuva. 
And the oil in that scripture is a metaphor for good deeds and the good name that we have earned through doing those good deeds. Shlomo, the king, teaches in that verse that a person should ensure that he is always in a state of teshuva. On page 176 in our text, there, there's a great story that I love, and it's, the, it's uh, from in Kohelet Rabbah 9.8. It, it says it can be compared to the wife of a sailor who adorned herself and put makeup on her eyes even though her husband was away at sea and he was not scheduled to return for quite a while. Her neighbors were very perplexed by this behavior and they said, why uh, your, your husband has gone far away? Why then are you beautifying yourself for no reason? And she replied, my husband is a sailor whose schedule depends on the quirks of the weather. Perhaps the sea wind will change direction and he will return home swiftly and soon. By always looking after my appearance, I ensure that if he does return, he will find me adorned. And so are we. I would say, keep your lipstick on. Hashem might come, or as we would say, Yeshua return at any moment to take us from this world to the Alam Hapa. Therefore, we should always have ourselves prepared and ready, and Teshuvah should definitely be a part of that preparation. Rabbi Yona asks us to imagine, and we may not be comfortable doing this, but take a moment sometime and just imagine how you might feel if you knew the day that you were going to die. How would you feel that day? How worried would you be? How maybe fearful you would be realizing that in a moment you're about to stand in the presence of Hashem and give an accounting for your entire life. And we should take that feeling that we imagine into our everyday lives and let the fear of heaven be upon us as we try to imagine that that day upon which we will die. Rabbi Yonah returns to Ecclesiastes 9.8 again and he says, let your head never lack oil. He encourages us to find new ways every day, new and exciting ways to fulfill the mitzvot. For when our death comes, we will no longer be able to uh, do the mitzvot. When a man dies uh, and he's wrapped in his talit, he has one of the tzitzit cut off to show that he is no longer able to fulfill the mitzvah on this earth because he's, he's no longer here. The sages teach us in Kohelet Rabbah 324, whoever performs a single mitzvah close to the day of his death is considered as though he fulfilled the entire Torah and uh, has been lacking only that one mitzvah. On the other hand, and we always have to look at the other hand, the one who commits a serious sin close to his death is considered as if he had violated the entire Torah. Rabbi Yonah describes those, however, that are in denial of the fact that they're going to die someday. He says that they are low spiritually and are not inspired by their mortality to do teshuva. He says that they are not sensitive enough to the even notion of death to prepare for the journey to the next world. I encourage you, we, for the sake of time, I encourage, we're not going to cover everything that he talks about, about death, but uh, especially starting on page 181 and on, I encourage you to go and read all of that because it's all great reading. 
On page 182, Rabbi Yonah discusses that those who do not remove the desire of the pleasures of this world from his soul before death. And he says, and I love this uh, saying that he gives us, and see if it reminds you of anything. He says that the sages teach, if you wish not to die, then die before you die. One who wants the day of death to lead to eternal life in the Alam Haba should tell himself that since he is in any case destined to take leave of the earth, leaving his physical desires behind, and that at the end of his life he will anyway forsake and let go of them, then he should voluntarily abandon them while he is still alive, in a sense, killing himself. If we do this, he says, then the day of our death will indeed lead to eternal life in the world to come. Immediately, I was reminded of scriptures in the Besorah, and I just have one written here, but there are others, I'm sure. Romans 6, 4 through 8. Therefore, we were buried with him through the mikvah into death, that just as Mashiach was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Mashiach, we believe that we shall also live with Mashiach. Amen. So if you are afraid of death, die before you die. On the other hand, there that is again, Rabbi Yonah says, the one who is preoccupied with the desires of this world is already separated from the service of the Creator. Rabbi Yonah goes on on pages 185 through 190. Again, I encourage you to read some of that on your own to discuss the big question, what happens after death? Uh, And just very briefly, he does state, though, that when a person's body dies, his soul ascends upward to heaven because all things return to their source. And he uses uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, where it says, The dust returns to the ground as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And the sages agree in Shabbos 152b, The souls of the righteous are tucked away under the throne of glory. Again, that brought to my mind uh, a verse from Revelation uh, Revelation 6, where it talks about the souls under the altar. It's amazing how many uh, teachings of the sages will uh, remind us of scriptures from the Besorah. He also talks about in this section that we, you and I, cannot know for sure Who are the righteous and who are the wicked? That is Hashem's uh, sole jurisdiction is to know who the righteous are and who. Uh, Even Yeshua taught, don't worry about separating the chaff from the wheat. Uh, Raise them both up and at the end it will be determined. uh, Rabbi Yonah goes on to say that even um, the righteous uh, may do evil deeds in secret. And uh, 
So you never know. That's what he's saying. You never know for sure. So treat everyone the same. On page 191, Rabbi Yonah talks to us about viewing this world as a temporary dwelling. I've often heard it said that the sages teach that this world is really the waiting room. You know, if you go to, hello, Celia, if we go to a movie theater and the, it hasn't started, the play hasn't started yet or the movie, and we stand out in the lobby, um, we have to keep in mind that's not the main event. That's just the lobby. And the sages teach that this world is just the waiting room for the real world to come. And Rabbi Yonah really wants us to understand that today. He says uh, that we should really make use of this thought that this world is a temporary dwelling uh, and it's only, we're only here to serve the Creator and preparing in it provisions for the world to come. For if, even if a person would live many, many years, and even he says if he would live a thousand years twice over, that number eventually would be reached and in the end it would be as though he had never existed. Whereas the world to come has no end. As it states in Job 16.22, For my allotted years will come, and then I will embark on a path from which I will never return. So we must constantly keep in mind that this finite world that we're in here is temporary. It's the waiting room. It's the place to get ready for the Alam Haba. He goes on to talk about how our days here are like a passing shadow. He, re, he cites a teaching of the sages in Kohelet Rabbah 1.3 regarding a passing shadow. But by using the metaphor of a passing shadow, he does not want us to think about a tree because a tree's shadow remains in one place. Rather, we are more like the shadow of a bird who just flies over and the shadow is very fleeting. And and this is this is appropriate for us because our life is very fleeting and we are here today and in the grave tomorrow. The sages teach, do not trouble yourself with tomorrow's problems because you do not know what day what a day will bring. Almost word for word from Yeshua's teaching in Matthew 6 where he says the same thing. Tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Um, the sages encourage us, since we could die at any moment, to be much less focused on this world. Rabbi Yonah goes on, Anyone who has been granted any level of intelligence by Hashem should know and understand the idea that we have been sent here on a mission, with a mission to observe and keep His safeguards, His Torah, His decrees, His, his commandments. We haven't been sent here to uh, take care of our own self, but to serve Hashem. And that having internalized this idea, we should not pay attention to anything other than our mission. We should be focused on our mission. And if we do this, if we stay focused on our mission in this temporary place, then we can return to Hashem, our soul, with songs of great and eternal joy. Rabbi goes on, Rabbi Yonah 
continues on with this theme of being mindful of the day of our death that we should not even temporarily neglect the service of Hashem or even slacken in it. We don't get to take a vacation. We don't get to retire from the our first breath to our last. We are in the service of Hashem. If we're still here, we still have a mission to accomplish. <clears throat> a person so focused on their mission may even lose sleep to to work on their mission, to study Torah, to increase his fear of Hashem, to rectify his character traits, to attain the highest level of fear of Hashem, and to think about how to exalt and glory in his Torah. Proverbs 10, 8, The wise of heart will seize good deeds, for the one who is wise of heart knows and remembers that the day of his, that his days are short, into relation to what may be accomplished. Our days are short and our task is huge. The sages put it this way. The day is short, the task is great, the workers are lazy, and the master of the house is insistent that the work be done. Again, our uh, Mashiach Yeshua put it this way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. From Matthew 9. On the other hand, one who does not constantly remind himself that the day of his death is coming imagines, I've got plenty of time. There's no rush to do things, no rush. I've got plenty of time to do all that. He is actually liable to spend his time focusing on trivial matters. The sages put it this way. One hour of repentance and good deeds in this world is better than all of the world to come. And yet, with regard to experiencing pleasure in the Alam Haba, one hour of pleasure there is better than all the physical pleasures that we could experience here. Okay. From it there, I think I was wondering if I was losing people. Am I still live? Somebody wave at me. Okay, I'm going to continue on, and hopefully I'm still live. Okay, what, um, Rabbi Yonah says that remembering the day of our death is actually part of a three-pronged strategy for avoiding sin. He tells us to consider three things, and we will not come to sin. Where did we come from? Where are we going? and before whom we will stand to give a reckoning. When you think about where you have come, you will humble yourself and learn to despise haughtiness. When you remember where you are going, you will have contempt for this world and realize that its physical indulgences are worthless. And when you take to heart before whom you will stand, the fear of heaven will be upon you. The sages put it this way in Bereshit 131, For even death is good in that it helps to humble our spirit, to instill the fear of Hashem in our hearts, and to negate the tendency to make this world into our primary focus. And this serves to protect us and keep us from further sin, so that we can focus on the real purpose of life, which is serving Hashem. Deuteronomy 32.29 says, were they wise, they would understand and they would ponder their end. 
Okay, we cannot finish this week without, as Lepidniks, certainly, talking about one more way that should certainly inspire us to be ready and do Teshuvah. And that is the return of Messiah Yeshua. You know, I always love and I always tell Menashe, let me know when you're coming home, if he's out for the day. Uh, let me know when you're going to come home. Or when he was working, I'd always say, let me know when you're on your way home so that I could be dressed, the house could be neat, supper could be on the table, and so I could welcome him home. And this is the same way we should be with our heavenly husband. Um, we should always be ready for his return. So let's look at a few references from the Basora. Uh, thanks, Hadass. I, hopefully I'm still alive then. Somebody waved at me. Let's start with Matthew 24:42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You know, we long for the return of Messiah Yeshua. We should be like the sailor's wife, have our souls beautiful, our makeup on, and be ready so that he, when he returns, we will be ready for him. And this should definitely inspire us to make Yeshua part of our daily life, and to keep our makeup on. Luke 21, 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it comes as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Rather than getting in the, involved in the sins and distractions of this world, he tells us we should be watching, praying, and I would add Teshuvah to that list so that we can stand sinless before him. 1 John 2.28 and now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, through regular teshuva, we can have confidence that we will not be ashamed when he comes and we stand before him. First Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may Establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach with all his saints. Our regular teshuva, through regular teshuva, our hearts can be blameless before God at the coming of Yeshua. And one final one, Revelation sixteen fifteen. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Again, our garments are our mitzvot that we do along with teshuva. And through our mitzvot and teshuva, we can and will be ready when he comes. 
Surely the thought of Yeshua's return should be a great inspiration to us as we prepare and, and be ready, just like the sailor's wife, continually watching for her husband's return. Okay, so Rabbi Yona is now ready to complete uh, this gate too. And we're on page, back in our textbook on page 204. Rabbi Yona completes his teaching on this gate with a very famous and well-known teaching from the sages, specifically Hillel, who said, If I am not for myself, who is for me? If I am for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? So he goes on to look at this saying in a little bit more depth. He says, If I am not for myself... If a person will not inspire himself to change, what benefit are all the reproofs of all the Torah teachers that he receives? Nothing he hears will have an effect. Nothing we hear will have an effect unless we make an effort to change ourselves. Nothing, Rabbi says, nothing anyone can say will change us until we decide to change ourselves. Even if the message gets in somehow, the Yetzirah will cause it to be forgotten and remove it from our hearts. Proverbs 10.20 says, The language of a righteous person is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is momentary. It is not enough for, to, for us to just hear week after week words of reproof. We must admonish ourselves. Uh, we should inspire ourselves to take these words that we hear and take them in and make the changes that we need to. Um, we should continue working on our character traits, working on studying the Torah, working on improving ourselves every day. And no one can do it for you. He goes on, and if I am not for myself, what am I? Even if we have taken the responsibility for ourselves and with all of our strength, we have done everything we can to improve our character. And no matter how wise we are, our accomplishments are nothing. They are meager. Our capacity is limited and weak. And even with our very best efforts, we can only attain the smallest measure of virtue necessary to achieve spiritual completeness. Yet Hashem knows that our inclination and limitations, He knows that we are weak. But He still expects us to make our very best effort and to achieve the greatest degree of improvement that we can. But even then, what am I? Yet I am reminded of one of our very favorite verses, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Mashiach, who strengthens me. We can do nothing on our own, but through Yeshua, we can. We can do it. He goes on, if not now, when? He encourages, we should not delay even a day or two our efforts into improving our character, setting aside time for Torah study. If we say, I will wait till I am free from other responsibilities, we will never succeed because there will always be other responsibilities. Rabbi Yonah finishes today with eight reasons why we should not delay working on our character. If we say, I will wait until I have enough money, uh, we will never do it because 
uh, one who focuses on money is always wanting more and more. Kohelet 5.9 says, one who loves money will never be satisfied with money. A person's time, number two, a person's time in this world is constantly decreasing. We've talked about that a lot over the last week or two. Our days ahead may now be less than those behind. And postponing the task to in, improve our soul only diminishes the time that we have left to, to do, to serve Hashem and do what we need to do. When we delay the improvement of our character, we may incur sin and stumble constantly. We have to be constantly focused. Delaying Torah study and character improvement would just leave us open to many countless pitfalls. He also goes on, during the time we are delaying character improvement, the evil inclination is growing stronger in our lives and hardening our heart, causing our negative traits to be ingrained. And the more we delay, the stronger it gets. And so it will be harder and harder for us to improve. Rabbi Yonah goes on, we must be concerned because we don't live long. And we may die before we get to finish this process or finish what we need to do or finish our miss mission. He goes on, when we delay Teshuvah, uh, by the time we do embark on Teshuvah, our sins will be uh, long ingrained in us and we will even have forgotten that we were ever sad over what we did we'll no longer worry about it so it we become kind of sensitized desensitized to it when we are well on in years and the strength of our yetzar harar has weakened we will not receive as much reward for teshuva as we would when we were in the peak of our years and we had to really overcome a strong yetzar harar in our days of old age, when the intensity of our emotions is diminished, we can no longer muster the strength necessary to forge new paths. We've often heard the older it is, the harder it is to change. So it's better not to delay. It's better to do the changes that you need to do while you're young enough to have the energy to do them. Rabbi Yonah concludes this gate with this. It befits a person to hurry in obtaining deliverance for his soul to engage in the service of Hashem immediately and without delay. Psalm 95, 7 and 8 says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This concludes, believe it or not, our second gate. Next week, we embark on gate three, which is going to be quite a journey, uh, which we'll talk about more next week. But today we have finished gate number two. So before we finish our time here today, let's look at and have a review of Amido. Oh, good. I'm still getting people responding. So you're still here with me today. Let's look at the uh, Mido of responsibility because we know that if we're going to prepare for our death in practical terms as well as, as, well as spiritual terms, we uh, need to take responsibility. It is no question that we are responsible for our choices and that our choices have consequences. I was having a little conversation with my one of my granddaughters last night because... The other granddaughter wouldn't play with her, but yet she was kind of being mean to her. And I tried to explain the consequences of being mean to 
her sister was that even more so her sister wouldn't want to play with her. So, of course, it's no question that our choices have consequences. Even if we seem to get away with something, our conscience will bother us and we'll lay awake at night. The Hebrew word for conscience is matzpun, and this comes from the same root word as the word for north. And this makes sense because if you look at a compass and you're trying to find your way, navigate your way, you always need to know where north is. So your conscience will keep you knowing where is north. So let's look at the Hebrew word for responsibility. If you remember back in our book, Everyday Holiness, the word is akreyut, akreyut. Now, a lot of people disagree about what this word really means, but even its multiple meanings can give us some insight into what it means. Some say that the root of akreyut is achar, which means after. This would make sense because akreyut responsibility is knowing what, recognizing and knowing that what comes after your choice is the consequence, and you have to take responsibility for that. You know, as humans, we are a, able, in a sense, to predict the future because we can say, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. So we're able, in a certain sense, to predict what's going to happen. And we must be able to take responsibility for those consequences. As Jews, we also need to be uh, uh, concerned about the consequences of our actions on those around us and on others. To elevate our soul, we need to become very skilled at anticipating what the consequences of today's choices are going to be in every area. Also, as we've talked in depth today, as Jews, we're, we should also be concerned about what might come after this world. The, the Alam Haba, so the after not only refers to what comes after our choice, but it also is concerned with what comes after this life. What we do in this life has eternal consequences, good or bad, rewards or punishments. There are others who disagree and say that the word akreu comes from the word acher, which means other. And here their idea is that it's something outside of ourselves calling us to do something. In other words, bearing the burden of someone else. Rabbi Simcha Zissel Ziv says we are to be responsible for each other. Cain's word to Hashem, am I my brother's keeper, shows really a lack of responsibility. Hashem would probably answer him, uh, yes, you are. And yet the ego wants everything for me and to be about me. Rabbi Simka Zisselziv says it this way, spiritual needs are more elevated than material needs, but the material needs of someone else are my spiritual business. Caring for others is essential to our own spiritual life. Hillel the, the sage says in Pirkei Avot, have we heard this again before earlier today, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I am only for myself, what am I? The more we try to take on supporting others, though, 
our ego will protest. Well, so we must redirect our ego and a, a healthy ego is very important to a healthy spiritual life. The soul trait of responsibility is built on positive self-esteem, but not arrogance. All right. Well, I thank you for being with me today. For those that have, uh, as we finish today, we are all, we're in the process of finishing the counting of the Omer. You've only got a few days left. You're at the finish line. You can see, uh, you know, the goal is coming very, very soon. I encourage you not to give up these last few days of counting. We will reach the mountain and, and we'll go beyond. So have a wonderful Shavuot, hug some milk, and we will see you on the other side next week.